is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Chris Seedens. And I'm Rob Archer. And today for Charles Feldman, this, of course, just breaking a few moments ago, Donald Trump's company has been convicted in New York of tax fraud. It's for a scheme by top executives to avoid paying personal income taxes on perks like apartments and luxury cars. That means the Trump org could be fined up to $1.6 million. We'll go in-depth on that. This verdict comes as criminal referrals are coming from the January 6th committee. and uh, But who and how? Many. Still a mystery right now. The head of the committee, Benny Thompson, confirmed the news today. The big question is whether former President Trump will be among those referred, and if he is, what will the Justice Department do? Voters in Georgia deciding if Democrats will control the Senate or if the 50-50 split continues. We'll head south to see how the race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker is shaping up. And the flu is surging across California. There is some potentially good vaccine news. Some sad news out of Hollywood, uh, word that uh, actress uh, Christy Alley passed away. Uh, it's been reported she lost a short battle, brief battle with colon cancer. We're going to go into depth, in depth on why colon cancer is in fact so deadly and why people are getting it at younger ages these days. More companies are hosting office holiday parties again, although if you have too much fun, you mm-hmm. could hear the F word, mm-hmm. F word as in fired. Mm-hmm. We'll explain. We're going to start with the guilty verdict against the uh, Trump organization and the January 6th committee criminal referrals. A lot of stuff going on today. Uh, But this is criminal defense attorney and former federal prosecutor David Katz. Uh, Mr. Katz, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, First of all, the January 6th thing is very important, but we want to get to the uh, Trump organization uh, guilty verdicts in the tax fraud case and a possible fine of up to $1.6 million. Uh, When we're talking the Trump organization, that's not a lot of money, is it? Well, it's a very significant verdict, however, because uh, the Trump organization is basically Trump. And to say that the Trump organization was criminally involved with this, this wasn't some lark or frolic that was done by his CFO, Weisselberg. This was something done at the command uh, and for the benefit of the Trump organization. So it's very significant. Yes, it's true that one and a half million, one point six million is not a lot uh, for Trump, um, but it's very symbolic. It's important. And, uh, you know, this was a 15-year fraud scheme, day in and day out. Weisselberg and other people there were breaking the law. Weisselberg admitted it. And, of course, who benefited from it? You know, it was a better bottom line for Trump and the Trump organization because they could pay those people less because they knew that those people like Weisselberg were not actually going to share with the tax man. They weren't going to pay to Uncle Sam. If he'd have given him $100,000 and said spend it on tuition, he would have had to pay tax on 100000 Instead, he gave him the tuition. Um, and so I think this is very significant. It looks like something that was very sneaky, and that was done for the benefit of the Trump organization. And that's what uh, Trump's own CFO for years and years and years said, that it was for the benefit of the Trump organization, and it wasn't just a frolic of his own. Were you in any way surprised, or was there any portion of this ruling that surprised you? It surprised me that Trump himself wasn't charged in it, and I think that that's one of the things that's just sort of mystifying that both the DA and the attorney general in New York have not gone after um, Trump himself criminally. It may be that the attorney general could not, but the district attorney certainly could have. It looked like um, his predecessor, Vance, was already to do it. Vance retired, and the new DA, Bragg, uh, does not seem to be going after Trump criminally, even though there were two 
um, prosecutors in the office there who were let go, who were ready to do it, and who fought, remember, in the U.S. Supreme Court and won against Trump in order to get his tax returns. Then once they finally had the tax returns in New York, it seemed like um, they just didn't have the, the gumption or whatever it was uh, to go ahead, the moxie, to go ahead and charge Trump. It seemed to me like a very strong case against Trump himself personally. Um, that case that was brought against the Trump organization and other, other misdeeds, other not paying his taxes, uh, state taxes, uh, that they could have charged him in state court, that the DA could have charged him with or the attorney general could have pursued against Trump himself. So that seemed like sort of a failure of justice there. I say that as a former federal prosecutor, and we were always criticized, you know, if we went after an organization and not the individuals. The individuals break the law, not organizations. It's kind of artificial to get a fine out of an organization when there's a human being that told the organization what to do. All right. The other big news in Trump world today was the uh, January 6th committee, the chair, uh, Benny Thompson, confirming that uh, a criminal referral or perhaps referrals are coming. But uh, no word on the scope of how many referrals we're talking about or who. Uh, and I know that uh, we do not know yet. And uh, I don't think you know yet. But uh, do you think that Donald Trump will be among those criminal referrals coming out of January 6th? I do think that Donald Trump will be one of them. Having said that they will definitely make criminal referrals, it seems to me rather shallow, right, uh, to say, well, we're going to go after Giuliani or we're going to go after uh, Bannon for uh, obstructing justice or we're going to go after somebody else and not go after Trump. I mean, once you say that there are certain people that should be criminally referred Obviously, Trump will ballyhoo the fact that he's not among them, if in fact he's not among them. So I think that once we know that there are going to be criminal referrals, I think we can be pretty assured that Trump will be one of them. I think that's why it's so controversial. I think that they feel that they need to do that for the historical record. At the same time, you know, it's just a recommendation. Uh, They have no power, the Congress, to actually indict uh, anybody for obstruction of justice, for Um, you know, perjury uh, for the January 6th conspiracy itself. That's all being left up to the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland, which has its own criminal investigation ongoing. But let me say this. Any of the Republicans who say that this is wrong to make a criminal referral are, in my opinion, being hypocritical, because you'll remember that during the uh, dossier investigation, Republican senators made a criminal referral and said the Department of Justice ought to indict and prosecute whoever was behind this dossier. And that was just four or five years ago. So, you know, what goes around comes around. But I can't believe that they would have this hearing that was so intensive, eight different hearings and produce all this evidence and not make a criminal referral, not say the historical record. These people ought to be indicted and they ought to be indicted for this and send that over to Merrick Garland in that form. Okay, David, we covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for taking some time for us and jumping on this. the breaking news we've heard as well. That's David Katz, criminal defense attorney, former federal prosecutor. Right now, though, uh, voters in Georgia at the polls today or at home having voted early. And a lot of them did in this special Senate runoff election. Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock up against Republican and former football star Herschel Walker. A Warnock win gives Democrats a 51-seat majority in the Senate. Alan Abramowitz is a professor emeritus of political science at Emory University in Atlanta. He's the author of a lot of political uh, books. 
Books. I was going to say books for some reason. A lot books, of books. And, uh, including Voice of the People, Elections and Voting in the United States. Uh, thank you, sir, for joining us today. Uh, your, uh, give us your prediction. I know that uh, predictions come back to bite us in the behind, but uh, your prediction on the, the upshot of what this election will show once it's all said and done. Well, right now we're looking at uh, a turnout, election day turnout, or probably something on the magnitude of 1.4, 1.5 million votes. We've already had 1.9 million votes cast in the early voting. Judging by the turnout on election day, which appears to be moderate rather than extremely heavy, uh, I would say that the outlook right now is positive for Senator Warnock. Um, based on the early voting patterns, where the votes were coming from, uh, and the composition of the uh, voters, uh, it looks like Warnock was building up a pretty solid early lead. Uh, and Walker really needed a very big turnout on election day to try to overcome that. And as of now, it doesn't look like he's likely to get that. The polls also indicate that Warnock has the advantage. There have been a number of polls conducted between uh, November 8th and now, and every single one shows Warnock with at least a modest lead. So uh, advantage Warnock, but it's not a very big advantage. The election is going to be close. And, uh, you know, so certainly there's a chance for an upset. Well, professors, for someone who follows elections as closely as you do, Herschel Walker, the Republican, by many accounts, even from many Republicans, he was not a very good candidate. Are you surprised this race is as close as it is? Uh, I'm not too surprised that the race is very close in the November 8th election, I think that Walker benefited from having uh, Brian Kemp at the top of the ticket. Uh, Kemp ended up winning uh, re-election as governor by a pretty comfortable margin of about seven to eight percentage points. And I think that was an advantage to uh, Walker. He gained uh, some coattail support from having Kemp at the top of the ticket. The problem is that Kemp is not uh, running again. Uh, that race is over. And so right now, Walker is on his own. And I think that is going to be a more difficult test for him. Uh, that's why I think that uh, Warnock probably has the advantage here. But Georgia is a very closely divided state. Uh, and I would not expect the margin to end up being very large. If uh, Warnock wins and, and uh, Democrats get the 51-seat majority in the Senate rather than just having the 50-50 split and then the tie-breaking vote from the vice president, how does that affect the makeup of Senate committees? Because uh, I, I want to make sure I understand correctly what this means. If a 50-50 split is in place, uh, committees are split, and if we get a uh, if if uh, there is a 51-seat majority for Democrats, uh, then they get the majority of the, the committee seats? Is that how it works? Correct. Um, so right now there is a power sharing arrangement whereby uh, there are equal numbers of Republicans and Democrats on all of the Senate committees. Uh, what that means is that if Democrats want to pass any legislation, um, they have to go through special procedures, uh, assuming they don't get uh, the Republican votes uh, in committee. Um, there are ways they can get around that, but it's more difficult. Um, if they get that first 51st seat, they will then have a majority on every committee that will make it easier for them to get bills out of committee and onto the floor. So, you know, it, it will make life easier for uh, Chuck Schumer and for the Democrats if they get that 51st vote. And it also means that they don't have to worry quite as much about uh, getting votes from Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema. 
um, they'll have a, a more solid majority. Can't help but think that the, this midterm election in general um, looked a lot more like a parliamentary election uh, in, in that, you know, trying to just to get control of well, both the upper chamber and the lower chamber. Exactly. Um, that's what we've been seeing uh, o- over the last couple of decades is that voting patterns in these congressional elections, both House and Senate, have become uh, increasingly uh, like voting in parliamentary elections in, in that the uh, most important consideration for voters is not which individual do you want to represent your particular state or district, but rather which party do you want to control the chamber? Uh, and so we're seeing a tremendous amount of party line voting, uh, very little uh, split ticket voting. Uh, the outcomes at the state and district level reflect the presidential vote uh, in each state and district. And, and that's what we, we saw uh, in, the, in the election on November 8th. Finally, before we let you go, any surprise uh, on your part, the fact that we didn't see either uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump campaigning in Georgia in, in this uh, runoff race? No, I, I was not surprised. Um, Biden is not very popular in Georgia. He has an approval rating in the low 40s and not too different from his national approval rating. So I don't think that Raphael Warnock uh, wanted him here. He did bring Obama here, uh, however, who Obama is much more popular. And Donald Trump is not very popular either. Uh, and I think the uh, Walker campaign uh, preferred that he not uh, come here and campaign in person. We saw what happened when he did that in the last set of runoff elections, uh, the results were not good for Republicans. All right. Alan, thank you again. That's uh, Alan Abramowitz, Professor Emeritus, Political Science at Emory University in Atlanta. Kirstie Alley is the latest celebrity to die from colon cancer. We're going to look into why it's on the rise. And office holiday parties are back, but you will need to watch your behavior. Right now, though, we talked yesterday yesterday about how drugstores are having a really hard time keeping up with demand for cold and flu medicine. It's because the flu is so rampant right now. In fact, California is reporting very high flu levels, which is straining doctors' offices and hospitals. Dr. Tanya Dahl is an ER doctor at Providence Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. She joins us today on KNX In-Depth. Dr. Dahl, thank you. First of all, how bad is it right now at your hospital? Um, it's, it's getting really bad. So we're not just dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic like we've been doing for the last few years. Now we have this triple-demic, right? So now we have not only COVID-19 infections, but we have influenza A, influenza B, and RSV infections as well, which are just driving people into the emergency department for care. So we're bursting at the seams. Is this because the uh, current uh, flu is really virulent or is it because our uh, immunity is low after the COVID pandemic? You know, my personal theory is I think that we really evaded most viruses for so long with all of our precautions, with the masking, um, with the hand washing, with the social distancing. And I think a lot of our immune systems really just got weak. You know, we weren't used to seeing these viruses. And now that, you know, all of those precautions have, you know, been been lifting, uh, people are out, people are, in, are gathering and enjoying the holidays. I think um, we're just being exposed to viruses that we haven't been exposed to in a while. And so our immune systems just aren't ready to handle it. Talk to us a little bit about the, the medicines need to treat the many patients you're dealing with right now. How are your supplies holding up to treat these people? 
Um, supplies are low. Um, I just worked a shift in the ER the other night and we ran out of flu swabs. So we were not able to swab patients and give them accurate diagnoses because we just simply didn't have the supply for it. And so that also implicates our treatment because we're using medications such as Tamiflu to treat patients that do test positive for flu. So um, we're, we're seeing a supply of Tamiflu in the hospital as well that is being hit hard. Tell us about this year's flu vaccine. I know sometimes uh, some years they develop a vaccine based on what they think is going to be the dominant strain of the flu virus that season. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they miss it a little bit, but it's still uh, a good idea to get the flu vaccine anyway because it will keep the symptoms from being very bad. Uh, I'm hearing that the flu vaccine this year is actually a, a lot more on target, and if that's the case, Are we just not seeing enough people get vaccinated against the flu? And that's why we've got this big flu surge. Um, Yeah. So every year it's almost like a guessing game. So we're trying to predict the strains of influenza that are going to be circulating so that we can make sure that our vaccine is going to target those specific strains. And this year we have done a really, really good job. And we came out with a great vaccine that's protecting a lot of people. Um, One of the things, of course, is make sure you get your flu vaccine because you're not protected unless you get your vaccine. But the other thing is this year we're seeing influenza hit sooner than it ever has before. And so I think people haven't really had the time to get out and get their vaccine. So um, especially now that we're coming into the holidays and and time for family and gathering, um, get right out, go to your CVS, your Walgreens, your doctor's office, get your vaccine uh, because flu is definitely hitting a lot sooner this year than it has in the past. Dr. Dahl, take us a little bit behind the scenes if you could. I'm wondering about the morale of the the, the many doctors uh, that you have on your staff and in other hospitals, how they're dealing with treating such an onslaught of patients again? You know, we have faced a lot of difficulties in the past. Um, We've faced a lot of staffing shortages, um, most importantly. And one thing that I have to say is our staffing in the hospital right now is really good. And so I feel like that brings up morale um, when we feel like we have the staffing and the capabilities to actually care for the patients, it's really actually keeping morale really high. So um, we're, we're just all in the holiday spirit and, and trying to do our best to care for patients. Um, and we're really having uh, a lot of resources in that um, realm. And, and I think it's making us feel a lot better. Would, is the flu surge so bad that uh, you might recommend foregoing some of the larger gatherings or are we at that point yet? Um. I would not make that statement. Um, I am a person that really values family and friendship, especially in the holidays. And so um, I recommend that people go out and they spend time with their family and their loved ones, um, but always keeping in mind just those universal precautions, things like if you're sick or you have a cough, stay home. Um, If you, you know, find yourself in an event and, and you do have to cough, cover your cough wash your hands, make sure you're using hand sanitizer. So I think in in groups, that's kind of the best way to go about making sure that everyone can stay healthy. All right. Dr. Dahl, thank you again. That's Dr. Tanya Dahl. She's an ER doctor with the Providence Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Chris Edens. I'm Rob Archer. In today for Charles Feldman. Well, friends, family, and so many fans remembering the life 
and career of actress Christy Alley. She died yesterday at the age of 71. People Magazine says her death followed a short battle with colon cancer. And colon cancer used to be something that older people would get, but it is impacting more and more people of a younger age. Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman died of colon cancer at the age of 43. This was back in uh, 2020. Phantom of the Opera star Quentin Lee died yesterday of colon cancer. He's only 34 with this is Dr. Suhail Salem, gastroenterologist with Dignity Health Northridge Hospital. Thank you so much for joining us. Why are we seeing colon cancer striking people of uh, younger ages? Well, uh, there's several reasons for that. We don't fully understand why younger people are, are getting colon cancer entirely, but there are several risk factors that are associated with uh, worsening diet and lifestyle, especially in this country as People eat more processed meats and fat, less fruits and vegetables, um, increasing rates of obesity, uh, excessive alcohol intake. All of those things have been tied to uh, increased risk of colon cancer. In the case of very young people getting colon cancer, especially in the 30s, that might be a genetic condition um, that they may have been predisposed to. But um, our unhealthy lifestyle, so to speak, has been tied to uh, increased risk. And as a consequence of that, the colon cancer screening recommendations has been lowered to age of 45 for everybody and possibly younger um, if there's a family history. Yeah, Dr. Salem, let's talk about screening. What do we need to know about screening? What should we be asking our doctors? Okay. Well, basically, colon cancer screening is recommended for every person beginning at age 45. Um, And There are multiple ways to do that. The best way is with colonoscopy, but there is also newer, more sophisticated stool testing that can be done if you're afraid to have a colonoscopy. For whatever reason, the most important thing is that you do something and not just hope for the best because that's when we get into trouble. Um, If there is a family history of colon cancer, especially in a first-degree relative, especially before the age of 60, then you likely need to be screened at an earlier age, possibly 40 years old or even younger than that, depending on the family history. And that's something you'll need to talk to your doctor about. In addition, if there are any symptoms uh, that could be attributed to colon cancer, such as rectal bleeding, abdominal pain, changes in bowel habits, that's something that you should talk to your doctor about whether or not you should be getting screened earlier also. And uh, when you get screened, how often should you do the screening? Every 10 years, every five years? What's what's the best uh, way to go? So for uh, most people, uh, it's going to be colonoscopy once every 10 years. That is if the colonoscopy is normal. However, what we're doing during colonoscopy is looking for precancerous growths called polyps. And we remove those during the colonoscopy to prevent future cancers. And if somebody has those polyps, then they do need to be watched more frequently, depending on the findings of the colonoscopy, whether it's three years, five years, and that's according to uh, what we find. Let's talk a little bit about life expectancy. Christy Alley, what we heard yesterday from her family is that she had a very short bout with colon cancer. So that likely, without knowing specifics about her condition, um, that likely reflects that this was diagnosed in an advanced stage where treatment options were limited. Um, The purpose of doing colon cancer screening and prevention is to prevent colon cancer or catch it at the earliest stage. If we catch colon cancer at the earliest stages, there is an over 90% cure rate, uh, which which is why early detection is so important. If we wait until it's causing pain, bleeding, or other symptoms, chances of uh, 
cure are much lower because it's usually being diagnosed at a much more advanced stage. But this is such a common cancer, but also such a preventable and treatable one. We just have to be on top of it with screening and prevention to try to prevent these outcomes. Earlier, you talked about diet. You said that one of the reasons we might be seeing colon cancer in younger people is because of uh, diet and nutrition. They're eating uh, more unhealthy food, not quite a, so many uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, right. But, you know, it strikes me that uh, over the last few years or so, people are, are more cognizant of healthier diets. And so, I, you know, I would have assumed that we were eating healthier, and yet here we are still seeing this. Was I wrong to do that? Is unhealthy eating actually going up? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think although there are some uh, some people eating healthier, I think the general trend in the United States anyway has been, you know, increasing rates of obesity. We still haven't seen a change in the obesity epidemic. Um, and in, in general, with these dietary changes, even if people are starting to eat a little bit more conscientiously in the past couple of years, that's going to take a long time before we see the benefits of that. Um, I would also emphasize that although eating healthy is definitely the best Thing that you can do. Colon cancer is one of these things that can develop even despite having healthy habits just as a consequence of aging or genetics. And that's why where uh, colon cancer screening and prevention comes in to fill in that gap. But I would definitely emphasize, uh, yeah, avoid excessive red meat, processed meat, eat lots of fruits and vegetables and fiber, avoid smoking alcohol, and try to uh, incorporate physical activity into your lifestyle to try to keep you as healthy as possible. Dr. Salem, thank you again. That's Dr. Suhail Salem, gastroenterologist with the Dignity Health Northridge Hospital. Remember uh, office holiday parties? Uh, they were a big thing in the before times, and now they're becoming <laughs> a thing again. More companies are planning in-person holiday parties this year. It turns out sometimes, though, people can get a little bit carried away with the fun and, of course, the alcohol, and in Rob's case, keeping the clothes on. Uh, <laughs> Don't say me personally. Well, okay, okay. I'm just saying at the party, there were people who may or may not have right. included myself. <laughs> okay. The results aren't so good. A recent survey from Price for Limo found 14% of people it asked said they got fired yeah, you heard that right. Fired shortly after an office party. Julie Bauke, president and chief career strategist at the Bauke Company, joins us now to talk more about this. Julie, first of all, that number, 14% seems high. What are people doing, other than taking their clothes off, to get fired after an office party? <laughs> yes, that's the first do not do. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, it's office parties. Okay, so So a work holiday party, it still has the word work in the title. And too many of us forget that, and we think, "Woo, this is our time to cut loose, free alcohol potentially, free food uh and you know it's it's but let's never forget it's still a work event, and so if you have a holiday party, a holiday work party on your calendar, there's a few watch outs, things that could put you in a career limiting situation. The first is obviously booze. And booze and lots of it. And so if you think I'm going to pregame, I'm just going to have one so I can relax when I get there. And then you walk in on an empty stomach and have a couple more. You are very likely to do or say something that you'll regret the next day. And so you have to always think when you walk in the door, these are still people that have some say in my career. And so therefore, I have to be on my best behavior, even if I look around the room and nobody else is. Don't look around the room and say, well, my boss is getting pretty hammered. I think I'm going to do it too. 
it, you can't control your boss. You have to only look at your behavior and what we can control. And do you want to have to call somebody the next morning and say, okay, what did I do? Do I dare show my face in the office? <laughs> uh you know, I wonder if part of this is not just because we're having in-person gatherings again, but maybe, you know, because we were cooped up for a couple of years, uh, two, three years with yep. uh, COVID. So now we're more than willing to cut loose at this big in-person booze-filled uh, event. And so our inhibitions aren't just low because of the booze. They're low because we've been waiting to cut loose for such a long time. We've forgotten how to behave. You know, when you, you know, I'm hearing all these stories about people going back into the office and it's like you walk in, even if you're just there a day or two a week, they said, I don't get anything done. People won't shut up and leave me alone. And so we, we, we have gotten so much more relaxed and casual in every aspect of our work persona. On top of that, we've got people the last few years who are very new to the workforce who uh, maybe don't know your company's culture or who are just new to holiday parties, Gen Z. And so they don't really understand, maybe they haven't had all this admonishment over the years about how to behave at a company party. And so they walk in really kind of fresh meat. They don't know how to behave. And and then those of us who've been around for a little bit longer, we're still saying, yeah, I mean, maybe this is the time that I don't have to, you know, maybe when the rules don't apply. And so all of those things are in play. And so I've been doing an informal poll with a bunch of people I know and new people I meet to say, what, you know, what's your company doing for a holiday party this year? And the vast majority have said, we're having something in the office on a Thursday at lunch. Yeah. And so I think there's been some lessons learned over the last few years that that bad things happen when you mix sort of office and your career and alcohol and potentially inappropriate conversation and things can go off the rails. And there's some liability that companies can incur if they aren't careful. And so a lot of more sober heads have prevailed and said, you know, we'll all gather, but let's do it during the day or let's do it in January and let's, yeah. you know, let's get, let's, let's take it down a notch. Julie, it sounds like many of the problems are caused by booze, by, by, by alcohol. And with that in mind, the issue of, how do I put this, uh, intermingling, perhaps you might want to, in some cases, best not to, you see where I'm going? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I tell people is, first of all, don't drink before you get there and go on a fairly full stomach and walk in the door. If you feel like you have to have a drink in your hand, if you don't really want to drink, make it club soda or get one drink and just nurse it the whole time you're there and really say to yourself, okay, so I'm going to go and I'm going to say, all right, maybe I'm an introvert. I don't enjoy these things, or I know that bad things can happen. I'm going to set a limit for myself of being there for an hour and I'm going to have one drink. I'm going to walk around, say hello to everybody, and then excuse myself. And so you have to go in with a plan. Maybe go in with the buddy system. If you're getting out of control or, you know, that blouse is the button has the buttons <laughs> come undone a little further than it should, you know, have somebody tug on their earlobe and tell you knock it off. And and and, and have that one me. drink and that person you've been attracted to in the office, maybe just stick to the other side of the room. Uh, Yes, because mm -hmm. you don't want to make a fool of yourself. Because right. you're if you're out at a bar and you make a fool of yourself, you don't have to see that person the next day, right. most likely. So let's keep our head on. Okay. Julie, some good advice there. Thank you so much. Uh, happy right. holidays to you. Again, that's Take a Julie, <laughs> Julie Bauke, President, Chief Career Strategist at the Bauke Company. Uh, you know, Bauke Group. Uh, you know, Chris, I have some advice for holiday parties. Mm -hmm. uh, don't drink. 
and uh, take a lot of video because you will probably get some good blackmail material. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're vice president. And keep your clothes on. Well, keep your clothes on if you have to. Okay, you the visuals I get doing this show with you. My good, yesterday it was you talking about your, what your Jane Fonda leggings, and <laughs> today it's clothes coming off at the Christmas party, the uh, holiday party. I, I am evil. <laughs> That'll do it for KNX in depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Chris Seedens. We're back again tomorrow.